And now our feature presentation, Imitating Art with Don and Chuck. Welcome to Imitating Art. I'm Don. I'm Chuck. On Imitating Art, we like to watch movies and talk about the lessons we may learn from those movies. <laughs> you sound just super into it tonight, Don. <laughs> I am I'm not into an intro. I don't know. I don't know what the people want anymore. <laughs> what do you want to know? What do you need to know about us? Yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about uh, Sorry to Bother You, which came out, what, two or three years ago. It's a really interesting movie. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Make sure you stick around after the intro to listen <laughs> to what you clicked on this for. <laughs> um, but anyway, what's been new in the last 22 hours? Uh, nothing new. So I, I, I don't want to talk about uh, uh, Head of the Class too much because, you know, there's not too much to say about it. But sure. we watched an episode tonight, guest starring Brad Pitt. This was circa 1988. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only was he super young, but what I thought was hilarious was even in this 1988 episode, must have been one of the first TV acting jobs he ever had. Brad Pitt was chewing gum the entire time. So even before he was famous, his, his whole shtick of his characters are always eating <laughs> was in place. I have a real problem with characters and actors and humans who chew gum in general. Like this, the, heck, the fact that like people who feel the need to chew gum during conversations, it's very obnoxious to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld has that bit. But uh, this, uh, this character was supposed to be both... Uh, dumb and a jerk. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it worked. Yeah. A dumb jerk. Okay. Well, good character trait for a dumb jerk, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, when, does this when was this show on? 80s? Yeah. It, it uh, According to the internet, it ran from uh, 86 to 91. Not exactly the golden era, but it was... Uh, <laughs> there was some good stuff coming out in the late 80s. Good stuff starting, anyway. Simpsons started in, like, 89 or 88 or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, started, started in 89. When did Seinfeld start? Uh, 88 or 89. I can't remember. Wow. It's crazy to think that Seinfeld started in 80, in the, in the 80s somehow. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it just started with those six episodes. I know, but it's just, like, it feels like such a 90s thing. <laughs> we have continued to watch uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I really love the way that uh, Captain Holt's character evolves from, you know, meat more robot mm -hmm. uh, to, to uh, you know, a real three-dimensional character. And uh, as much as they are all great in the first season, in the first episodes, I really like how he develops more uh, and, you know, kind of opens up more to the squad. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, mean, um, I think I was a little worried at first that, he just had the the one joke, but yeah. but that just gave him uh, a lot of room to become funnier. Yeah, hot damn! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bone. But uh, but yeah, I know we we don't have too much to to catch up on since we just recorded. But uh, if you want to take a quick break, we'll come back and get right into sorry to bother you. I say we do that. Let's do.
All right. Well, I think we're back. <clears throat> I think so. All right. Well, considering we both think so, let's uh, call the whole thing off. Um, <laughs> so we're <laughs> we're talking about uh, Sorry to Bother You Today. Uh, I always want to say it's a movie by Bootsy Collins, but it's, uh, it's by Boots Riley. Boots Riley. <laughs> um, and I was, I can say I was not familiar with Boots Riley pre Sorry to Bother You, um, at least not in any specific way that I could, I could mention. Were you? Yeah. So in college, I used to listen to The Cue sometimes, um, <clears throat> which was... Like uh, Boots Riley is a, a rapper mm -hmm. and was in the rap group The Q. Uh, they had a couple songs that I liked and listened to a bunch uh, mm -hmm. back in like 2005 or so. Okay. We Are the Ones was really catchy and it, it was mm -hmm. stuck in my head for a lot of the time I was watching this today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but this, I, I remember I did go to see this in the uh, Movie Pass era of my life while I was in Salt Lake City. And, uh, this is one of the, that's one of the things I loved about movie pass is that I could go, I probably would have seen this movie anyway, but I just remember being able to go see movies like this so easily at the independent theater. And I loved this the first time I saw it, but, um, was it, was this your first time or your second time seeing it? This was my first time. Okay, good. Because it's so fucking weird. <laughs> it's, it, it takes such a turn that. I never, I never saw coming when I first went to see it. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad that you get you got to experience it for the first time right now. I think it's uh, a movie where I think you could probably guess like the thematic turns it's going to take, but not the sure. specific plot turns. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, considering my uh, recent babbling, uh, would you like to take a shot at the uh, the recap? Sure. Um, I already forget the characters' names. Sorry to bother you. Stars Lakeith Steinfield. Uh, Stan Stanfield. Uh, I'm gonna keep saying his name wrong because my brain keeps wanting to say Seinfeld or Steinfeld. Uh, <laughs> Lakeith Stanfield as uh, what the hell is this character's name? I feel like I knew it before you said you didn't remember. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he's uh, oh Cassius. Cash. Cassius. Yeah, Cash Green. Yeah, cash is green. Um, <laughs> but he's a, a, a young man uh, looking for work, gets a job as a, a telemarketer uh, for a, a company that's kind of owned by this uh, bigger company that uh, has a, a lot of controversy going on because there's people claiming that they sell slave labor. Uh, and... Uh, Cassius, uh, you know, he has a, a girlfriend who twirls signs and uh, is an artist as well. Uh, and a couple of friends that he makes at work. And he kind of slowly, actually kind of suddenly works his way up to become a, a what do they call it? A P caller? What's the Pop P seller? stand for? Pop? Or, oh, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. uh, he gets to promoted to the upper floor where uh he gets to kind of slowly throughout the course uh, erode his uh uh identity to in order to to achieve success until he eventually finds out that uh 
That's actually kind of the entire point of the company and the point of his promotion to completely erode uh, people's uh, identity into just being workhorses. Right. Uh, literal workhorses. They turn people into horses, horsemen, uh, <laughs> equisapiens, uh, to uh, fuel their the slave labor that they sell. And they want him to be the equisapien uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, and then he gets his revenge on the the company. Uh, that's yeah. uh, I mean there are details obviously, but that's essentially it. Yeah, and I mean the part where things switch from normal, you know, normal kind of workplace movie to Equisapien half man half horse thing, and it just kind of goes crazy from there, but not like. Not crazy in the way you'd think it would. Like in the Equisapien just kind of become part of the story at that point. Yeah, but they they don't take over the story. No, uh, they do add a different feel to the to the movie though. Like it, it absolutely, ar- it, it already has like kind of an odd, uh, almost tone. yeah, like definitely an odd tone, almost like a kind of like the the way they do the visuals of of him doing the the calls where he. Is there? And, oh, and he drops into their living room. Yeah, yeah. It depicts him as dropping into their living room, uh, and it's not just done in a visual way. Uh, it like he reacts to it the first time that it happens. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, he he so, he activates the one Japanese guy's bidet. Yeah, so like <laughs> it it um it already has this kind of odd tone to it with a, a couple like laws of physics breaking things going on. So it's not completely out of nowhere, at least. And like you say, they, they don't take over the story. They're just this other odd twist that happens. But it just yeah. feeds back into the whole... Because uh, worry-free, the company is constantly getting um, protests against it. And so they just kind of fold the Equisapiens into the, the protesting yeah. and, and the rioting. Yeah, and I mean... And so... Cassius is an is an interesting character in the way that wh- where he's introduced, he's very existential and like c- trying to figure it all out. And his his girlfriend is telling him to chill out a little bit and just you mm-hmm. know go with it, which is actually kind of funny considering that she is much more of an activist <laughs> than mm-hmm. he is. Like she's tr- she's trying to change the world, and he feels like he's just living day to day, surviving. Nothing matters, and then he gets this job where suddenly he's rising in the ranks. He finds this one thing he's good at, really good at, mm-hmm. and people are praising him for it and helping, you know, patting him on the back and pulling him up and telling him he's getting promoted. So suddenly he has this, like, meaning. He has something that he can go to work. For. He, he's making money. He's able to pay his rent. He's able to help his family. And now he mm-hmm. has this thing that's like, oh, well, I, I'm good at this now. Like, I, maybe there is a meaning to it, even if he is just still surviving. It feels like he has purpose. Yeah, and but in order to achieve all that, he's got to uh, lo- lose himself in a lot of like key ways. Well, um, right. I I figured we'd get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like he he gets all this success, uh, but so um, you know he's played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is black, so it's a black character who 
is not having success when he's just talking on on the phone to to people trying to sell them these books. And then Danny Glover pops up out of nowhere <laughs> and tells him to use his white voice. So, uh, you know, when Cassius starts calling people, he starts using David Cross's voice uh, <laughs> to uh, to talk Crazy. to them. And, and he starts having, uh, that's when he starts having success, success as, as a telemarketer. Uh, yeah, I, I was, like, my note just says, is his white voice David Cross? <laughs> and it, it took it, me it, a while it, when I was in the theater. I was like, I was like, I know, I know this voice, it's, but yes. it, yeah, it's definitely David Cross. And then, I mean, that's just kind of the start of it, because eventually he starts, you know, doing the white voice when he's not even thinking about it when he's at home, uh, yeah. because when he gets the promotion, he has to use the white voice all the time. Where his his boss in the upper level is his white voice is Patton Oswalt, and then you know he just he doesn't join the protests against worry free so he's like a scab and he's like betraying his friends and he loses his girlfriend and so it, all in the name of the success that he wants right and this is a comedy by the way for the most part <laughs> like these yes. are all very dramatic things that are happening but it's it's got a very fun and silly tone to it mm-hmm and like it's funny, like they, they 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 go very literal with the metaphors and like heavy with the metaphors. They're chain. He's using his white voice, with and they even say like it sounds like you're being dubbed. <laughs> and um, but like the, when they're on the top floor or when they're on the upper level sales floor, they have to always use their white voice. The black guys do. Mm-hmm. So like it it's it's very much like it's very it's very much outwardly saying if you want to succeed in corporate america <laughs> oh, you yeah. have to put on your white your white voice and your white face and fit in with the company's uh i don't know just fit in with the 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 the, the tone of the company which is by default a white centric company of course <laughs> yeah. so um like it's a very heavy metaphor but it's done in a very funny way yeah uh, like to the point where his immediate boss on that upper floor uh, doesn't even have a name. Like they they bleep out the name as if yeah, as if he has no identity of his own. He's just there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, and uh, I mean the the owner of the company is played by Army Hammer, who is one of the whiter people in the world. But he's so good. He's like he's he's so, you know what? He, and he reminds me of John Hamm in a lot of ways. Um, like, I, I feel like I that. don't know what he, I don't know who he is or like, I don't, I don't know why I know him, but I recognize him very much. And I don't know if it's just a conglomeration of other characters or other actors that remind me of him. And then I've seen him in enough things as well, but I wouldn't be able to tell you who he was by looking at him. Oh, yeah. Ar- Army Hammer. Um, I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was the Winklevoss twins in the social network. Um, oh, you're right. I wouldn't have remembered that. He was he was the Lone Ranger in that movie. Uh, I didn't see that. He was in The Man from Uncle, but um, he was also so one of his first acting roles might have been his first acting role was one episode in season one of Veronica Mars, mm-hmm. and Tessa Thompson who plays uh, Cassius's girlfriend Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of her early acting roles was a recurring character in season two of Veronica Mars. So, mm. worlds collide. Just fun. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun for me. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, uh, we and we talked we talked about this in a, in a couple other episodes uh, recently in the the, mo- the most recent one, but like the idea of code switching mm-hmm. for black people having to fit in in a white dominated group versus uh, at home or you know where you're more comfortable and you're not feeling like you're putting on the airs of trying to be who the other people there want you to be, mm-hmm. and it's actually kind of funny because when Danny Glover tells Cassius to put his white voice on. Uh, he describes it as you want it, you want it to be carefree. You want it to be the voice of a person that the, that they wish that they were. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking to other white people, you want to sound like the carefree white person that they want to be. Yeah. And, and, uh, Cassius already thinks that his voice sounds white. <laughs> yeah. And his it's friends like, make fun yeah, of him yeah, for yeah. not quite being black. Yeah. Um, because he does, he puts the sauce on his noodles or on his spaghetti oh, yeah. after he cooks it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny because that's what Alex does too. But I, I grew up with just mixing it all in in, in the, <laughs> the pan, the pot. I, I didn't have an opinion. Uh, I have to say, uh, having had it both ways, I think I prefer it with spreading out the spaghetti, dolloping the sauce on top. Um, anyway, but yeah, so I guess. I guess in the beginning that he's uh, kind of in the middle of two worlds in that way, but uh, only one, I was going to say only one world is offering him success. While we're still on that subject, what was the thing in The Hate You Give mac where and they cheese. were like, yeah, okay, that's what I was trying to think of. Mac, I, I, mac I, and cheese I, is a meal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we both agree on that, right? <laughs> I, I think of it as a meal. Yeah, <laughs> homemade baked mac and cheese. Anyway, anyway, that a... that conversation is in a already in a different episode. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you can hear uh, Chanel uh, disagree with me on that. Yeah, we'll link it down here. <laughs> but I like that they get right into the uh, like the this corporate structure is really just like screwing you and like lying to you by saying if you do well enough. If, if you work well enough as a fry cook, maybe you'll be a manager one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they, they just kind of point that out and it's like, and it's very true. And they are always, and even as well as Cassius is doing the guy that's high five, they go through the whole montage of him high fiving him on different days as their, ch- as their clothes change. And he's like the only one making sales in those videos. And then he pats him on the back and says, try to make uh, try to get through more calls per hour. You know, uh, you're, you're doing good. You, you'll be up at the top before you know it. Like yeah. he's, everybody else is barely doing anything in, uh, from our perspective here, but he's still telling him he needs to do better. Yeah. I mean, I guess. So I, I wonder if there's a connection because the movie starts with him lying in order to try to get the job. Uh, like he's, he's, trying to con his way into the job where the guy True. hiring it is like, look, I know you're bullshitting me, but this is telemarketing. Yeah. That's who we need. <laughs> I, I, I don't really care who you are. Just, just yeah. get through as many calls as you can. Um, yeah. So I guess already from the beginning, he was willing to shift his identity to, to get the job, uh, True. which is a job <laughs> that he, okay. I mean, we could talk about this again in lessons, but it's a job he says he wanted in the first place to be more interesting to Detroit. So I guess across the board, he he was never really firm on what he felt about his own identity. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Um, 
I kind of took that as a waffling kind of statement of just some shit you say to try to sound like you did it for, he got that job for her instead of the fact that he got a job because he didn't have any money to pay his rent and he took whatever job would take him. Like, why would you get a job as a telemarketer to be interesting to your activist artist girlfriend? I don't know. She's a sign twirler. I mean, she's a, that's what I mean. She's a sign, she's a sign twirler, but like, it didn't seem like anything. He got the job and he, then he didn't say anything about it when he got back in the car. He said, they'll hire anybody if you want a second job. Like he said it yeah. so casually to her. <laughs> it didn't seem like he was like talking it up. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing. He didn't seem like he had any interest in the job itself. Just having a job was good for him. Speaking of things being literal, uh, she's a sign twirler for a store called Signs. Yep. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. <laughs> and at one point, the sign she's twirling just says Signs. Um, yep. This is, by the way, the third movie we've watched where one of the characters has that job. Uh, sign twirler? Yeah. Uh, after uh, the Joker movie and oh, yeah. and Soul, where the hippie dude was the sign twirler. Uh, good me- good memory. I forgot yeah, about this, the, this, the Joker one. It's well, it's just it's almost shorthand for this person is poor. <laughs> like yeah. this is the job they have because they're poor. Um, yeah, um, Badger was also a sign twirler. Was he? I don't remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just remember he had lots of ideas for Star Trek episodes. No, I think when we in, were introduced to him, he was wearing a giant dollar bill suit and he was spinning a sign after <laughs> Jesse was Jesse was trying to get the job. He thought he was going to be a salesman, but it turned out that he pointed out, the, the guy tur- pointed out the window and was like, uh, you don't really need that much experience. <laughs> this is what you're going to be doing. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, uh, yeah, so I don't know about that, but he, it, in any case, he rises through the ranks pretty quickly. He becomes a top seller after like he becomes the scab and like decides I'm going to keep, you know, or I'm sorry, after everybody starts protesting, even though he stands up to protest at first, they offer him the higher job. So he gets pushed up and up and up. And then he meets army hammer who brings him, you know, takes him to the party and expects him to be entertaining. He's like, entertain me. I am on top, which is the name of his book. Yeah. I'm on top. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he's like, uh, now perform for me. Uh, yeah. Underling rap literally perform for me yeah like tell yeah. me a funny tell me an interesting story drop the white voice i want to hear like these people are always here i'm bored of them give me something from the ghetto basically mm-hmm. um and yeah so then he's like i can't rap it's embarrassing yeah. but he gets put on the spot <laughs> and it's hilarious yeah but then uh, immediately devolves into the uh like the 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 racist stereotype of rap that they want to hear yeah, well, it's kind of funny to see like the one black guy on stage with an audience full of white people, and the, he's only saying the n word over and over again, and yeah. the crowd is yelling it back to him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of that exactly, but <laughs> it, that there was it, it seemed quite on the nose as far as what was going on. Like he is, yeah, said he is the other. <laughs> he's being put on the spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Lakeith Stanfield is just a great actor. Again, like uh, when we were talking about Judas and the Black Messiah last time, and I mentioned how that was like nothing at all like his character in Knives Out or or, uh, Get Out. This is nothing at all like 
you know, Judas and the Black Messiah, or Get Out. It's a yeah. little, little closer in tone, at least, to Knives Out, but it's still uh, just a completely different uh, performance for the most part. He's great. Yeah, he's wonderful. And, uh, and I think part of the reason why I didn't remember him from some of the movies I had already seen specifically is because he just becomes those characters to me. And he does it. He didn't specifically stand out until I watched like three of his movies within the course of a month or so. I don't. I, I didn't recognize that he, it was it was him. You know, like he just didn't stand out because he just became those characters in my head. Yeah, and he's getting a lot of work these days, deservedly so. Definitely. So is Tessa Thompson, uh, Detroit. Like she, yeah, she, Westworld. She, yeah, Westworld, uh, the third Thor movie. She's yeah. I had to look up. Now. I had to look up what I rem- what I knew her from, and then I was like, "Ah, Westworld, that's what it is." Yeah, she was in the New Men in Black. <laughs> she was in Dear White People. Like she's uh, she's all over the place. Yeah, um, in a good way. So, like this movie becomes completely absurd by the end. Uh, mm-hmm. it, in some ways, like very heavy on the metaphor, but still very absurdist in 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 other ways. Uh, but I think that that is just another metaphor for the whole thing. It's like the whole thing the whole idea of working the way we do becomes absurd. And this may be like passing into the whole lesson ideas, uh, uh, lessons right away, but we're kind of allowing this absurdity of exploitation and people, people defend it as a right or uh, an expectation, or that's just what life is or however they want to put it. But we're basically living in absurdity. Like we're, if you take it back to his um, kind of existential start, in this movie where he's like, what does this all mean? Like, what am I doing? Am I just surviving? What is it all? Like, does anything matter? Does nothing matter? And then it's like, no, something matters. You get to work and we'll give you money or we'll give you a place to sleep or, and we'll give you food, but you just have to keep working because all you are is a cog in the machine. You know, you just have to keep working for us. Mm-hmm. And like, when you really step back and think about it, it's like, is that what we were like? Is that what we're here for? Really? Like, that is absurd. So uh, I think it's not that crazy that they take quite a left turn in the in the third act. Yeah. And it kind of happens all at once, too. Like, uh, yeah. he just goes to the bathroom and there's a horse, horse guy in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's like, I just really got to pee. Just give me a second. Yeah. And then suddenly. <laughs> well, if he had gone through the jade door, not the olive door, yeah. things would Stupid have gone mistake. very differently. That was a lime door, by the way. That was not olive. <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe he's uh, colorblind. Maybe, maybe uh, he knew it was green. <laughs> I was like Jade. For some, I, I wanted. I, I guess I, I know it's it's green, but uh, for some reason it may, I thought black right away. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like a it, a deep green, right? I think so. It's very clearly an olive door. Um, no, I, I, I Jade the stone is black, right? No, it's green. Jade, oh, Jade is green? Okay, so why am I thinking Jade is black then? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, them arguing over, like, the specificity of the colors of those doors was pretty kind of hilarious and weird, too. Colors aside. Um, did you, do you have anything else about the movie, or should we get into the uh, into the lessons after a little break? I actually didn't have a whole lot of notes on this one. Okay. Uh, oh, that elevator, the elevator to the, uh, the once he gets the promotion to that second mm-hmm. story. Um, 
it's insane. There, there, so there's the elevator that only the the good, like the best top sellers. Yeah. Top sellers. I, what the hell does the P stand for? They keep calling them PCs, right? It's like a a gold covered elevator door, and once he gets in, there's like all these like gold like trophies and crowns and stuff in there, and there's instead of just floor buttons, there's like a a pin pad with an insane code that you have to push in. It's it's like they they really don't want people to get in there unless they've been invited. The if, first time was so funny. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> another step to to prevent people from from getting in, and it's yeah crazy. Just another absurd step of how you become a power seller. And uh, I, his one friend actually is good at twirling signs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he is. <laughs> Surprisingly good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll uh, take a short break and come right back to you, talk about some lessons. Anyway, well, now that we've reminisced about Nextel phones, I think we're back. Yes, that was a, an exhaustive reminiscence, and we have exhausted ourselves. So that's our that's our uh, new emo band, an exhaustive reminiscence. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's well, we we could have been huge. <laughs> could have been. Well, if we were going to be huge, it would have been with our previous emo band name, uh, a subtle ultimatum. <laughs> yes. Uh, I forgot about that, and I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> uh, we neither of these were were uh, made with the emo band name generator. That, no. that's just that's just who we are. I, I feel like those two bands would tour together. <laughs> uh, which one would open? Uh, an exhaustive reminiscence, I think, would open. I feel like they're a little more metal. <laughs> uh, they haven't figured out you know, how to marry all their sounds together yet. They're mm-hmm. a little rougher around the edges. <laughs> a subtle ultimatum, yeah. though. They, they, they're they a little more professional. Yeah, ASU, of course, is the headliner. Of course. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, everyone, for that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I got to say, it is uh, uh, it does feel good to be talking about a funny movie and not a pretty wholly depressing film <laughs> again. Uh, I'm glad we struck a balance between the one we talked about previously. Uh, and it's not a, what do we, can tell me a joke so we can break the tension here <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It's like, no, the whole, the whole thing is amusing. <laughs> not that this story isn't depressing and sad, but it's just so done in such a silly way that. Yeah. Yeah. It helps, helps them, helps the medicine go down. Yeah. A little bit of frosting on your tongue before you take your medication. Yeah, a little. Oh, a little honey on your avocado. I'm not sure if we're back or not at this point. Um, okay. <laughs> or if I'm just I'm just editing a lot. <laughs> I, will, I will say this: we're back now. As of right now, we're officially back. But emo band stays in. That con- 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 that conversation is a keeper, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right. Um, I agree. Let me just start by saying. What isn't slave labor? 
Yeah, I mean... That's a quote from the movie, but I think I thought it was a very good point that it's like, that's slave labor. And he's like, he said, what isn't slave labor? Well, I realize that we, we've all, we, we, we've kind of had part parts of these conversations before, I think, but the idea of what we're working for right now and how much we're working for is, you know, questionable as to whether it's fair and it's definitely not uh, equal as far as the amount people are making in regards to the, the classes. So if you have people making just commission or working as an intern for nothing mm-hmm. for, oh, or, or you ask, you know, you ask your photographer that, that your friend of a friend knows to work for uh, advertising on your website that has, you know, or your, or your Twitter that has 25 followers, you know, you're going to get exposure. And that's what they say to all yeah. artists. Uh, you can work for exposure. I don't, I can't pay you. Can't pay you right now. Well, if you can't pay me, then you don't deserve to have a business. So sorry. That's okay. Your art sucks anyway. No one's going to be paying for that. <laughs> R slash choosing beggars. <laughs> but yeah, the, like, so the idea of slave labor is, you know, reserved in a lot of people's minds for an older time, you know, people not getting paid at all, people being kept in captivity and forced to work in a field. But, you know, the U.S. still has slave labor. We have, we allow people who are in prison to work for mm. nothing, basically. And in specifically in our, uh, in the amendments to the Constitution that outlaws slave labor, it says, except for, I don't remember how the wording goes, but I mean, it keeps... It keeps people who are imprisoned available as slave labor, basically. So the idea of slave labor, especially in a country that imprisons people of color in much higher numbers, is mm-hmm. very viscerally important to, to, to people who are you know looking for work and wondering if their work is being going to be compensated or actually matter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm unsure if I'm willing to consider low wage work as slave labor except for the prison thing because they make like pennies but uh i'm not sure if i'm willing to consider low wage work as slave labor but it is definitely exploitative and uh wrong yeah and i mean using the term slave labor sure is provocative and how and whatever but it it just kind of drives home the point that okay so you're gonna pay me less than a living wage and call it minimum wage. But if I work 40 hours a week, I can't afford an apartment in any state in this country by myself. Yep. 40 hours a week, four weeks a month, you know, 365, the whole year, I cannot afford an apartment anywhere in this country because the inflation has completely outgrown any kind of growth in wage. So, <laughs> I mean, and I know this is something we've already talked about recently, but you know, it bears repeating. It's just like, it, it is not equal and it's not fair. And the, the way, and this is why the income and the, uh, the class gap is growing so rapidly. Yeah. Well said. So. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else to add. Uh, hopefully that doesn't become a, 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 a recurring theme after the Judas and the Black Messiah episode where they just said said everything so well that we couldn't add anything else. <laughs> we just repeat what they said. 
Uh, and we're like, well, that's all we have. That's all we got. It's a very short episode tonight. <laughs> but seeing, uh, on, on, uh, to, to, to shift to another point uh, I wanted to make is that uh, watching that show that has become the number one show in the country in this, uh, it's called I Got the Shit Beat Out of Me, right? Yeah, uh, Kicked Out of the Me. The Shit Kicked, out, kicked yeah. out of Me. The idea that, the idea being, in my mind at least, like, people love to watch other people get, like, lose and get the shit kicked out of them because they're like, well, at least that's not me. <laughs> at least I'm doing better than that guy. Yeah. Uh, I think they said something like 150 million people watch it. So, some ridiculous number that no no show has, you know, 150 yeah. million people watching it every episode. Especially And I, it's... I was going to say, and it's on nightly, yeah. like Wheel of Fortune or something. It just, but it, it really just reminded me of um, All My Balls from Idiocracy, <laughs> <clears throat> which also featured Terry Crews. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you just got kicked in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. <that's> <laughs> um, and, and just the phrasing of it also just reminded me of Oops, I Crap My Pants from, from Saturday Night Live. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, just in Idiocracy, the, the biggest show in the future is Ow oh, My Balls, which is people getting kicked or otherwise hurt in the in the balls. Um, hurt in the balls. But yeah, I mean, as you were pointing out, I think the, the movie is saying something a little bigger about the way that we like to see people suffer and, and feel better about ourselves. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's no secret that people enjoy watching other people get hurt in, in one way or another. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have fail videos. I yeah. Mean, that's... I mean, <clears throat> there are several subreddits that I follow that often feature videos of people getting hurt, and a lot of the time I do think that they're funny. It's usually people who deserve it because they're doing something stupid when it happens, but I'm still enjoying watching it happen. I mean, I mean schadenfreude is, is not much better. There's a reason that word exists. Yeah. Um, but also, America's Funniest Home Videos was a thing a yeah. long time ago. Like, watching people fall it, off of a skateboard. It still and, exists, by the way. Oh, well. Um, but watching people fall off a skateboard while they're grinding and hit their nuts on the rail, like, that's that's a classic. That's going to live forever. You know, yeah. you can, you'll, we'll be watching those videos forever. Just, they don't have Bob Saget doing the voices for them anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jackass. They're making a new Jackass movie, man. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if Bam's okay, I guess. I don't know exactly yeah. what happened. I saw he had a meltdown. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Jackass is a good point. Like they're, yeah. they're inflicting it on themselves, but yeah, we're watching and being entertained. Uh, we're watching it, yeah. we're being entertained, and we're also judging them for making the decisions to, to do yeah. this. Um, <laughs> so that's like, and even it's not just them getting hurt by accident. We're we're enjoying that they're, they've chosen to do it. and. Yeah. But that's a whole different level where it's not just somebody, some random kid falling off a skateboard and hurting himself. That's you get to watch it. You get to be glad it's not you in pain, and then you do have pain because you're like, oh, these guys made a lot of money from doing this stuff to themselves. Oh well, you know, at least I don't have a concussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, unless you go back to those early two thousands when Jackass came out, and all of a sudden every idiot fifteen year old with a video camera was doing the exact same shit and hurting themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's just uh, Darwinism. But hey, yeah. anyway. Um, to be fair, those were the same kids who were putting out, who, who were recording their own skate videos and hurting themselves that way by accident well, anyway. So. I mean, that's how CKY and Jackass began too. Yeah. So. 
anyway, we do we, we do enjoy seeing uh, other people's pain, uh, sure, and not just physical pain. So um, I didn't I didn't talk about this in the beginning, but I I, I saw I, I I was thinking this is another choice, much like uh, the choice being made uh, by Lakeith Stanfield's character in in the Judas film. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making a choice as to whether to sell out and, you know, take the promotion and make the money, look out for himself and help his, his uncle or like choose the moral quote unquote, right thing that he, that him and his girlfriend believe is the right thing to do and not be a scab and not cross the picket line. Um, and he, you know, he makes that choice for himself and kind of takes, you know, takes that road and sees where, sees where it takes him. And then he, you know, at the end he ends up, you know, backstepping after he finds out what is really beyond that line. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that it seems like the two movies almost take uh, two very different stances on making that decision, at least with the two different characters. Because um, yeah. Bill in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is really put between a, a rock and a hard place. And it's an impossible decision. And he, at least throughout the course of the story, doesn't really learn or grow from it or, or make a different decision at the end. Whereas in, in, and he's not judged for it really by the, by the makers of the movie. Whereas, um, Cassius is totally being judged by the people around him and the writers and director of the movie for selling out and, and not caring about his friends. Um, he does eventually learn from it. Yeah. But, uh, he, he eventually becomes a workhorse anyway. Yeah, and as an as an aside, I uh, when you said he's between a rock and a hard place, uh, Bill was uh, between... The rock was prison for him. And <laughs> I also just heard Sean Connery saying, looks like we're between the rock and a hard place, <laughs> um, in my head when you said that. Uh, so, and you said you just said the word to workhorse. the hard place. <laughs> Uh, that would be a different movie. Um, but I, uh, you, you just said workhorse again and you've said it a few times, but that's very much how, like it, it, it is a bit literal at the end where they are, they're having workhorses, but I mean, they are just saying basically people are just creatures to be manipulated like horses plowing mm-hmm. a field for you. Like they're just beasts to be tamed and you know, put and have something put around their shoulders and pull the wagons for us. It's just, that's what these lower class people are to the, to these people that we need to make sure that the work is done. We'll give them a small cell to live in. We'll make sure they're fed. Like uh, Terry Cruz's character said, like three hots in a cot. That is a term for prison. Mm-hmm. Like that's a term they use for prison. Like uh, it's not great, but at least, you know, you have a three meals and a place to sleep. And it reminded me of like some homeless people who will commit crimes, especially in the winter when they don't have anywhere to sleep and it's just not safe and they don't have anything else to do. They're like, well, I'm going to commit a crime. You know, I'm going to do something inane. I'm going to shoplift or something. So I'll go to jail. So I know I'll have food and I know I have a place to lay at night. Um, and it's like, it's crazy that you get to see that, that like the inequality that's going on in this, in this movie, you, every time they walk down the street, they're walking by tents and there's like one, the one guy where he, he's driving to work and they're at a stoplight and the guy's brushing his teeth in his car because he probably just woke up in his car. 
um, like that's happening now in the U.S. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. real. It, that's it's real, and it's getting worse now, especially during the pandemic. But um, like that's just something that we have to face as a as a nation. That if we're the we- wealthiest nation in the world, does that wealth stay at the top, and do these people just hoard it, or do we try to find a way to help people? You know, and then and then how do we keep that help from being exploitative, like uh, worry free? Yeah. You know, some some corporation is going to be the one that says, I have an idea. I can help. I'll put all these people to work and give them beds and food. Yeah. But it can be something like this. We're always looking for ways to increase productivity. And, and, and here's <laughs> one. Yeah. Don't you guys want jobs? Yeah. It's funny. When, <laughs> when you say we're the richest nation in the world for the first time right now, I thought. Not true. Well, no, no. I'm just saying for the first time, I'm I had the thought that. Uh, we're only the richest nation in the world because there's like a specific hundred or so people who choose to live here, who have an address here. That's true. Yeah. The two richest men in the world live here. Like if, if any significant number of the top 1%, which isn't that many people, the top 0.1%, uh, if they moved to another country and took that wealth with them, suddenly our country would be so much poorer. Is that how it works? I thought it was more of like the, like the net worth of our industry and our exports and all that kind of stuff as well. If they were to move their big companies, like if all if Amazon and all the tech people moved to Mexico all of a sudden, then we we might be shifting well, shifting gears. But I know, I mean, I know China is outpacing us in a lot of ways right now. What What was the most recent lesson we were talking about? Uh. This, the people being creatures to be exploited. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, and then when, when uh, he, when he calls out the company and he goes on all these shows to tell the media about it, instead of them being ousted and broken down, like people support them even more, and he's getting more pu- publicity, and people are like looking to invest in their company and help grow this program. <laughs> it's just kind of crazy yet it's funny how normal it, it feels realistic seems yeah. now <laughs> feels very realistic yeah. uh it's like every time somebody does something ridiculous they somehow end up gaining support mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah um also just because because they talk so much about the the slave labor and in, in sorry to bother you I'm wondering if there's any correlation between the way that they're turning people into horses to make them stronger and work better and <clears throat> the way that slave owners and, and slave traders uh, in America would breed slaves to be bigger and, and stronger. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, they wouldn't give them cocaine to do it, but... Uh, it was the first thing I thought of when they were talking about turning these slave labor workers into bigger stronger versions right I didn't think of that but that's uh, that's a good point and I wouldn't be surprised if that was intentional as well yeah Um, one thing since you brought up uh, the ending where they start making even more money after this all comes out there's a the one guy squeeze. I I can't remember 
exactly how he put it because again I wrote this down a few minutes after he said it but he when uh, Cassius is trying to figure out why this is happening even though they're publicly doing these awful things now um, I have the quote here if you want me to yeah, say it yeah there you go so uh, he said most people know most people know calling their congressman doesn't work you get shown a problem and have no idea how to control it so you just decide to get used to the problem mm-hmm yeah, I mean, you need at least one figurehead to help guide a, a movement, right? So just because something is a problem and people know there's a problem, it, it's it's not going to change itself. It's like, <clears throat> do you know the Kitty Genovese case, the murder that happened in New York in like the, the 50s or 60s? I can't remember exactly when. Mm, where no. <clears throat> she was the woman who was stabbed something like 27 times on a city street. And there were all these, like, people in their apartments who witnessed it, but no one called the cops. Uh, and it was used as uh, an example of how New York City people are cold and uncaring, and they, they can witness something like this and not do anything about it. But, yeah. but the studies actually show that if if something like that is happening, and people know that there are other people around who have the ability to do something, they'll just let them handle it, which means no one, yeah. probably no one's doing anything. And, yeah. uh, uh, like Alex has always cited the, the fact that if there's an emergency happening and someone needs to call 911, like if you go to give someone CPR or something, don't say, you, say you. yeah, you point, you specifically ask one person yeah. to call 911. That's part of, that's part of CPR training now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if if there's if there's no one leading a movement to to stop something, it's probably not going to get stopped. Yeah, and I mean also that the, the last part he says, you know, if you you have no idea how to control the problem, you just decide to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Like we we are adaptable. Like we are very adaptable as a species. So like we are as and as a society as much as we like push back against any kind of change, if we are really backed into a corner, we can change. We can learn to social distance and put masks on. As much as people want to fight against it, like we have changed a lot over the last year. We've gotten used to this very quickly uh, when it comes right down to it. Like We can change as a society if we need to. So people are very adaptable and they will get, they, they'll, they'll adapt to something instead of fixing it as well mm-hmm. um you know they'll find a way around something or find a mental the mental gymnastics they need to just realize just accept that that is reality now um and in this case it's you know that's a that's a that's a bad thing um but after a while like you if you just start ex- keep accepting a problem instead of figuring out another way to change it or pushing back against it like uh Detroit is doing, you know, like, and and the rest of the group, you know, like some of them are starting to accept their fate that they can't do anything. They don't have the power, but they still get up every day and, you know, start working against it. Um, but some people are very quick to just say, well, can't do anything. I guess I'll just, this is just life now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know there have been plenty of times where I found it easier to just say, okay, that's just how it's going to be. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> so I certainly relate to that. Um, sure. So what do you what do you make of him becoming uh, an Equisapien at the end? Uh, I don't really have any deep thoughts about that. Um, really, just like they kind of left it open ended and kind of silly there at the end. I guess the the, the one thing that I I did think about it is that it's kind of like your creation can come back to haunt you, you know, like you create something that you think is going to be for the better, but you're playing with, you know, you're playing with fire. So it turns out that your creation came back to attack he, their, their creation. His creation came back to attack him in his house, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I was just like, I was curious if it had, of cash is actually turning into one at the end had anything to do with because Steve Lift Lift uh, Army Hammer's character wanted him to become the Martin Luther King Jr. for the Equisapiens in order to appease them and make them feel that something was getting done so that way they would just go back to work Um, and I'm wondering if by starting because he starts to lead a, a movement after what he exposed about the company didn't change anything. I'm wondering if he was kind of inadvertently becoming that figurehead uh, without making the hundred million dollars. Um, yeah. Or I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's a metaphorical reason for it to happen. Probably. <laughs> um, but I do I do kind of like just the way they left it. They didn't give you, like, that clear, happy ending, easy out kind of thing. It kind of left left you to be like, well, I wonder what, what, what would have happened with them. Well, he's got a horse cock now, so. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was one of the one of the upsides that uh, that Lyft was trying to push. <laughs> it's like, and I want to remind you of this. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that in so many of the shots of the Equisapiens, they just have a huge floppy cock. flying around yeah it's just I think just generally the the workplace portion of this where he's building to the to the new job is like where everything kind of just gets set up for for for, I guess I guess later when he's at uh at Army Hammer's house he's kind of thinking back to what it was, what he was before and how he got there. So, you know, he, he, he came so far from the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and he is stuck in that inner turmoil of, well, I'm helping my family. I'm helping myself. I'm more interesting to my girlfriend. And he's got like that big choice to make. And I think the main theme before the horse thing was, was really already kind of driven home. Um, but then they, they went uh, the extra mile with the, uh, the sci-fi twinge to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that could just be kind of leading kind of just the idea of that corporations might do anything if they have the option to, <laughs> to get more money. And then it's just going to keep on growing the, growing the income gap and in inequality. Yeah. Well, that's not speculation. <clears throat> no, it's definitely not. But, uh, <laughs> the, again, the, the absurdity is not, unwarranted yeah um, 
The only other thing I had written was, uh, and I think this, I think I might be paraphrasing what one of the characters said, but they basically said to change the world, you have to start somewhere. And I don't, and I'm not totally sure if somebody actually said that, but they said something that made me think that. Hmm. And that's, you know, it's kind of a, a nice sentiment to end on as well, that there are so many characters in this, in this movie that are pushing back against the system and they're trying to make things better and they're pushing it back against the company that is claiming to try to make the country and the, the, and society better by offering this like basically jail option for people, um, to work their life, you know, work the rest of their lives away. And, um, it's nice to have that kind of hopeful feeling with the, the activism and the push for, unions or better you know better pay and whatever mm-hmm. uh as a big voice in in the movie so to change the world you've got to just start somewhere and who knows if you will be able to make the change much like we were talking about with judas and the black messiah mm-hmm. like i don't know you don't know i don't know if you're going to see you yourself who's fighting against this is going to see the change you wish would be realized but maybe the next generation or the next people who work at this company will be able to reap the benefits from your hard work. And at some point you just have to make peace and be okay with that outcome. Yeah. Um, be, be the change you want to see in the world. Uh, the yeah. journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Um, all, yeah. all, all of those. All those trite cliches. cliches. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all true, but, uh, the, I like this phrasing of it too. That if you, mm. you know, if you want to change the world, you got to start somewhere. Um, yeah. A podcast of uh, thirty-six episodes starts with a single episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not as poetic, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's got to start. You want to stop at thirty-six? You don't want to at least get to thirty-seven. <laughs> uh, oh man, you yeah. realize a reference—a reference no one would ever get. You realize I—I I just now. Uh, realize that we should have saved Clarks for episode 37. <laughs> yeah, well, no one would have appreciated it except for us. Hey. <laughs> Maybe we can do Clerks too. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Um, yeah, I don't really have, I don't have anything else here. Me neither. I think we, uh, yeah, we got into a lot of, a lot of the good, the good lessons of this one. It has, for, for such a silly movie, a lot of good lessons come from this one. I agree. All right. Well, <clears throat> if you would like to get in touch with us, you can always email us at imitatingart1 at gmail.com or find our social medias at media is already plural. But you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at imitatingartpod. Yeah, and if you'd like to find uh, us individually, you can find me on Instagram at Don't Worry I'm Finite and YouTube.com slash Don't Worry I'm Finite. And I'm everywhere as Big Effin Moose. Oh, he's everywhere. Mm. Uh, all right, well, thanks for sticking with us through this episode. I hope you had some fun uh, watching the movie and listening to us talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I hope you had some fun, and hey, I hope, hope you learned a little something along the way. Yeah, it's been actual. It's been real. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) Don and Chuck will return in Imitating Art with Don and Chuck.